Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Now, regular listeners to the program know that I do a weekly roundup of the week's ministry news every Friday with my co-host, Natasha Smith. But these Ministry Watch extra episodes, like the one you're listening to now, are a chance to go deep, you might say, with our editorial partners. And today I'm pleased to have back on the program Paul Gladder. Paul is the editor-in-chief at Religion Unplugged and the director of the journalism program at the King's College in New York City. His journalism experience includes a long tenure with the Wall Street Journal. Paul, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Warren. Good to be with you again. Yeah, and likewise. Uh, You know, Paul, when we were last on together, a little over a month ago, we talked about the election, which had just been a few days before that. And I honestly thought that that was going to be all of the election talk that uh, we would have to do this year. But this is the election that has a hard time ending. And as you and I are recording this conversation, uh, it's the day after the Electoral College met and officially elected Joe Biden, president of the United States. But on Saturday, uh, a bunch of so-called prophets prophesied that this day would never come. Uh, They gathered in Washington, D.C. for the so-called Jericho March. And in addition to Christian leaders such as Eric Metaxas and Jonathan Kahn, there were conspiracy theorists in attendance like Alex Jones of InfoWars. The white supremacist group, the Proud Boys, had a large presence as well. And to the point here, Paul, you had a reporter there. Jillian Cheney wrote a lengthy account. What did she see? Yeah, we well, we put Jillian on this. She didn't attend the event in D.C., but we saw on Twitter and other places that, you know, it was an interesting event happening. So on the weekend, we asked if she had time to tune in and just pay attention to the live stream and the Twitter chatter. And she did a really nice summary I'd recommend checking out on our site that, you know, gives an overview and explanation with plenty of embedded tweets and videos um, to explain it. So, yeah, she, you know, basically, as you pointed out, this... Um, this was motivated by, I think, both a religious and Christian desire to worship in some parts, but also a political desire uh, to, with the hashtag Stop the Steal movement, people who who think that the election was stolen. Um, and they, by calling it a Jericho march, they're taking a page from the Bible story of Joshua, you know, in which God commanded the Israelites to march around the walls of, an, of a city for seven days, praying and worshiping. Uh, so that God would crumble the walls and allow the Israelites to conquer it in battle. So I think what they uh, were aiming for was that some kind of gathering or march here, uh, you know, might affect the uh, outcome of the uh, election that happened in November, the presidential election. And these are obviously Trump supporters who think he won and Biden didn't. Well, um, yeah, that's right. And uh, you, you, I, I must say that I thought Jillian's account was riveting, and um, beca- partly because it did have a lot of embedded material there. And um, uh, it also sort of highlighted um, our mutual friend, Eric Metaxas. Uh, he was, uh, I guess you could say, the master of ceremonies for the event. Right. Yeah, no, I think he was a center, like one of the hosts of sorts. Um, and Eric has made news himself in recent weeks and months. Uh, I mean, he, the religion news service had a piece, our friends over there had a piece, uh, about what, you know, 
how he's changed, I think, how he started out as someone who's writing for Veggie Tales, the comic or a, Christ, a cartoon, that a Christian cartoon, essentially, um, to being someone who was hosting highbrow events called Socrates in the City in New York some years ago with, you know, philosopher, philosophers and, and media figures. Um, and then in recent, in the last four to six years, it seems like he's veered more into partisan politics and culture wars. Um, and readers of our site might remember that we broke a story at Religion Unplugged about um, a controversy uh, in which Eric Metaxas confirmed he indeed had uh, punched a, a, an anti-Trump protester, let's say, at the uh, RNC convention as people were leaving and, and this guy was riding a bike and you, we had a previous story about that. So Metaxas has clearly become more political in recent weeks. Um, uh, it's all very interesting. It's interesting to think and wonder where Metaxas will go, I think, uh, in the future with his voice. He obviously is a very smart person, uh, an eloquent person who's a good writer. His books have been bestsellers, but he seems to be losing some friends these days, such as or maybe eyebrows of friends are, are, are uh, raised quite a bit these days. People like Rod Dreher uh, and others who I think uh, consider Eric a friend. And um, I will say on record, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Eric and I will talk at some point. Uh, he unfriended myself and all of our staff on, uh, on Religion Unplugged after we reported what he said about uh, his, uh, his, the, the previous incident. Yeah. Well, I, I should say in a spirit of full disclosure that I spent uh, probably about an hour on the phone with Rod uh, today. Uh, Paul, just before you and I were talking, Rod Dreher, who you mentioned, and uh, Rod has been calling out Eric pretty profoundly on um, his blog. And um, and uh, we, you know, we, we talked about that. And, you know, Rod has basically just said that he should disassociate himself from people, especially like Alex Jones of InfoWars, who has uh, been a purveyor of, of – um, of conspiracy theories uh, over the last um, couple of years. And uh, I think, um, you know, it's uh, er, er, Rod basically said that Eric needed to dissociate from him or his reputation would be in ruins uh, in the future. I don't know whether that will be true or not. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but uh, um, it's more than just raised eyebrows whenever, <laughs> whenever yeah. some of Eric's old friends are saying that about him. So, yeah, well, I would I would agree with Rod to be honest, and I um, I think more than I think our culture and our society, our country is in a crucial point. It has been for you know decades, of course, but in, I think we're at an interesting point with new technology exacerbating partisan divides, ideological divides, and culture wars. And I really do hope, I really do hope uh, and pray that you know Eric um, uh, remains a leader. And that uh, that he backs away, as Rod suggests, it sounds like uh, from conspiracy theorists and conspiracy theories. I don't think that that's healthy. I don't think it's um, uh, I don't think it's right, to be honest, to, yep. to follow those those theories. That's right. Well, uh, let's move on to the other big story of the week. Um Paul, and that is the story of COVID. Um, it, it's, of course, COVID has been the big story of the year, but this week in particular, um, where we have now a vaccine that's been approved and has started to be distributed, there have been some very high-profile vaccinations actually taking place where we're seeing people uh, be vaccinated on television. And um, you wrote a story, or and you didn't write it, but you published a story at Religion Unplugged um, about religion skeptics of 
of the vaccine and and some of the dynamics around that. Can you say a little bit about that story? Yeah, well, that was a a weekend plug-in column by I believe by our columnist Bobby Ross. He writes a column every Friday, a seasoned religion reporter, and he does a, a roundup of religion news that people should definitely check out uh, every week. And um, you know, he often does a fact check, and so he's fact checking uh, you know a, a video from last week where President Trump criticized, uh, characterized the first COVID vaccine as a uh, one of the greatest scientific accomplishments in history. And, um, right, so, uh, you know, he, he just walks through uh, some of the religion reporters' response to uh, the vaccine. And it, what's interesting, of course, is there's some, uh, in the religious community, there's some skepticism about vaccines, uh, vac- you know, anti-vaxxers, let's say. And so I think he's walking through a lot of that uh, now that the tension that arises. And, you know, for pastors too, should they speak up uh, about people using a vaccine um, in in this time? And, you know, I think it gets that earlier theme in the topic we were just talking about. And we didn't mention, we didn't get to get into what you brought up there briefly, which was um, uh, some groups at that Jericho march, I believe it was the Proud Boys is what most people are attributing to, went to a church, at least one church, pulled down a Black Lives Matter sign and set it on fire. And um, uh, I wanted to make sure we, we brought that up. And we had another story on our site by Hamil Harris, who was on scene talking to people about that. Um, and I think that incident and this the COVID incident that we're talking about with this story raised questions around, to me, are, are, are people who identify as Christians, um, at, at a rally um, or online on Twitter or in church, um, what is the basis for fact, objective reality, and truth right now? Um, I grew up in the church hearing lots of sermons and still do about objective truth. And I think now is a key moment for religious people to uh, live what they talk about and believe uh, on that subject matter. And on the point of um, and to try to to not be hypocritical with with that point, and and you know, if the Proud Boys who took that sign down from that church consider themselves Christians, um, I would ask, would they find the similar action uh, if someone did that to their church uh, uh, to be kind, you know, or to be a Christian act if someone took a, a sign down from their church or defaced church property? And I really do think we need to ask ourselves questions, and maybe COVID is a similar a similar zone for this. Yeah. Well, Paul, um, now that we know that Joe Biden will be president of the United States here in a few weeks, uh, I think it's uh, fair to say that there will be some fairly significant policy shifts uh, on issues that Christians care about. One of them is going to be international religious liberty. One of the things that a lot of Christians think Trump got right was the advancement of a bipartisan cooperation regarding religious liberty. And uh, I think one of the reasons that uh, Trump did have some success in this area was because of Sam Brownback. Uh, Sam Brownback was the ambassador at large for international religious freedom. And uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, um, were like-minded in many ways in their advocacy efforts. And um, you guys uh, once again had a had an article about religious liberty on your site, and uh, I'm just wondering um, what you think under Biden. Do you think this bipartisan cooperation relative to international religious liberty is going to continue? 
I hope so because I, you know, our friends and our correspondents who are very clued into international uh, religious liberty issues and attended these forums put on by Pompeo Brownback Trump administration said they were very good. They said there was care not just about Christians in the world, but about the Uyghurs in China and, and other beleaguered groups. Um, blasphemy laws in Pakistan that affect Muslims even more than Christians. So I agree with you that one of the positive things of the Trump administration was to put religious freedom on the front burner. Um, it is a common, should be a common ground issue internationally. And I, I have heard, you know, I think it's frankly too early to tell exactly what Biden uh, and the administration will do, but I think they are under pressure to be more progressive and to some of the more progressive uh, activists in the country want Biden to back away from the religious freedom issue, especially because some think religious freedom can be used or is used sometimes as a cudgel against other progressive causes or human rights issues such as LGBT, LGBTQ issues. Um, in other words, that they don't want Biden using religious freedom to defend religious people who might want to dis you know, discriminate in various ways. So I think they would prefer Biden to to be pro-LGBTQ uh, and other rights, to define human rights and, and the human rights agenda in a different way. My, my, guess, um, my guess is that Biden, being more of a centrist, will try to appease both sides um, and will probably see some form of that. I don't know if that's your view as well. Um, well, yeah, I, th I think that's probably right. You know, one of the things that I think I'm going to be keeping an eye on is who Biden uh, puts in place of Sam Brownback as that ambassador at large for international religious freedom. In my view, Sam Brownback has just been stellar in that role. Um, and but um, under Obama, there there was a um, uh, an air, a period of time, almost two years, where that role was just left vacant. Uh, whenever they finally uh, did, whenever uh, Barack Obama finally did fill that role with Rabbi Saperstein, um, it was a good choice. Uh, he did a great job in that role as well, or at least he did a good job. I don't think he did as good a job as Sam Bradbury did. So, it, and and the members of the uh, International Religious Liberty uh, Commission, um, many of them were chosen by Donald Trump, including Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council. I'm not sure, but I believe that they will stay on until they uh, until their term expires. So, um, I do think it's possible that some of the good work of the current um, sort of regime of International religious liberty will continue, but um, yeah, it'll be an interesting. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how we go from here. Well, you know, Paul, uh, I've need to take a quick break here, but when we come back, um, you know, we got to talk a little bit of Christmas, and it wouldn't be the Christmas season without talking about Charlie Brown Christmas. So we'll uh, talk a little about that and a story that you guys uh, posted at Religion Unplugged about it. Uh, I'm Warren Smith this week with my guest, Paul Gladder at Religion Unplugged. You're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast, and we'll return after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith with Ministry Watch, and my guest this week is Paul Gladder at Religion Unplugged. You know, Paul, I'd like to talk about a couple of different Christmas stories, but first, the one that I promised before the break, the story about a Charlie Brown Christmas. It is a beloved Christmas tradition. I know it certainly isn't my family. Uh, In fact, I think somewhere in our house we have an old VHS tape that we— when we originally taped the program off of the television, whatever it was broadcast. And, um, of course, fortunately, for the last few years, we haven't had to use that old VHS tape. I don't even know if we could uh, play it anyway. I don't know if we have a player anymore. But uh, you guys published an article at Religion Unplugged explaining why and um, this television program, uh, less than 30 minutes long, uh, has become such a beloved Christmas tradition. And... Um, Fill me in on that. Yeah, this piece was by Clemente Lisi, our senior writer who often writes about Catholic topics. And um, he talks about his experience growing up and watching, you know, this special among the, you know, during the holiday time, we have so many specials, but this one always stands out. And, you know, he found it interesting that it appeals to Christians and non-Christians alike and, um, uh, and that it has some religious content to it. And so, uh, you know, it's a it's a, one of his perpetual holiday favorites, and it, even though it was from, came out in 1965 on CBS, and so as the listeners hopefully know, you know, Charlie Brown finds himself depressed despite all the commercial holiday cheer, and um, Lucy, the character Lucy, suggests he direct a neighborhood Christmas play, but his efforts are largely ignored, and in the process, Charlie Brown buys a pathetic tree and is mocked even further by the Peanuts gang. And something truly magical happens near the end of the 30-minute special when Charlie Brown asks and even shouts what the true meaning of Christmas is. Instead of more commercialism, his friend Linus says, um, uh, explains what it's about and talks about uh, 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 you know, the shepherds in the field watching over their flock by night. The angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone around, around them and on and on. Tells a Christmas story. And it's kind of remarkable that even though Clemente notes that it's remarkable that 55 years later, even though we're in a more secular society in America, um, that the TV special continues to be beloved. And, you know, I can, Warren, I can back that up. And I remember working in a newsroom in Berlin, Germany. And uh, at Christmas time, we had a Charlie Brown Christmas tree in the middle of the newsroom on the table, which was kind of kind of fun. <laughs> right. And uh, I like the research there that Clemente did and tells us stuff, tells me things I didn't know about this, uh, some of the history of the special. So I think readers uh, will definitely want to check that out. Well, I think so, too. Yeah, it's a really great story that he tells, though I, I, and I don't mean to put sort of a downer on the story, but uh, CBS decided this year that they were not going to air it um, for, um, I guess, for their own reasons. And uh, it turns out that uh, I guess it got picked up by PBS for a couple of um, a lot of couple of airings, but then and then it was on the PBS streaming platform as well. But uh, in some ways, it is kind of the end of an era. Whenever um, one of the you know three major broadcast networks, uh, after having aired it, I believe continuously since it came out in the '60s, um, decided 
to stop airing it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I think Clemente's piece points out that Apple TV purchased the rights, so I don't know if that influenced the decision. Um, but apparently the piece at the end says, uh, you can see it as you noted on PBS, but it's also going to be on Apple TV you know, for those who are subscribing to that platform as well. Right, right. It gets just a sign of, of how much has changed. I mean, that, that uh, you know, not being on one of the three major networks uh, in some ways uh, is probably not going to uh, inhibit or restrict people seeing it, which I guess is a good thing. Paul, one more Christmas story that I uh, wanted to highlight before we um, ended our time together. Again, another story that is kind of near and dear to my heart because it's um, – the story of Angel Tree, founded by Chuck Colson's Prison Fellowship Ministries. I worked at the Colson Center for four years before coming to Ministry Watch. I got to know Chuck uh, before he passed away. Uh, so uh, I know this ministry was very uh, close to him. And in fact, you've got a picture of Chuck um, uh, in the story that you guys published on your site. Ah, yeah. So this piece was from. Uh, yeah, this piece is from Micah Danny, who was a fellow with us last year at Religion Unplugged, and I believe he's now a reporter at the New York Daily News. And when he pitched us a story here about, um, uh, you know, the history of Angel Tree, I definitely wanted it because it's, to me, it's, you know, it's again, it's an example of kind of the uh, same thing as Charlie Brown. I think in our societies, more than ever, we need things that we can agree on um, as, as sort of common ground, you know? And are in the common good, and um, uh, and so Angel Tree, I think, is something that has done a lot of good for a lot of people because it was a great idea and it was a simple idea. No, it really is. I mean, the the idea of Angel Tree for some of our listeners who may not know is that it it provides um, it provides uh, Christmas presents for the children of. Uh, prisoners of people who are incarcerated, which, uh, you know, however you feel about law and order and however you feel about, you know, minimum sentencing or, you know, the whole controversy around around prison reform or criminal justice in this country, I think you're right. I mean, everybody loves the kids. I mean, the, the kids are the innocent victims in this process. And to, uh, to have a ministry that cares for the kids, especially a Christ-centered ministry, is something that uh, I think um, all Christians of whatever political stripe can get behind. Yeah, absolutely. And and it sounds like Angel Tree, from this report, it sounds like they're doing well. They've, they've grown um, and uh, continue to provide those gifts for children whose, you know, parents are, are, are not with them during the holidays, who are in prison, and but uh, uh, who who are still who are still meaningful people, and uh, and hopefully receive you know those gifts and realize that other people care about them. Well, that's exactly right. It's especially remarkable in the age of COVID uh, that Angel Tree continues to grow. And by the way, I've done some research uh, uh, for some articles that we're working on here at Ministry Watch and have learned that um, amazingly, um, this year it's actually probably going to see a little bit of an increase in in charitable giving, about a one to one and a half percent increase, according to the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. So uh, what's happening at Angel Tree is just uh, uh, one example of a larger trend that we're seeing in the culture as well. Well, Paul, we've got to uh, bring our time together to a close, but I just wanted to ask you, what are you guys working on there at Religion Unplugged? Yeah, we got some good stories in the works. We knew, we have a piece that should be coming out by the time this podcast air is born about uh, the Mandalorian and the religion uh, context through through the Mandalorian. And this season's gotten very interesting for those who watch the show. So definitely check out Jillian Cheney's piece there. 
And um, we've got a story I was just editing today with uh, uh, Megan uh, Clark, our managing editor, and Princess Jones about uh, the black Hebrew Israelites in a former uh, leader in that church who police say committed suicide and whose family is mourning the loss of, of him and also having raising questions about um, uh, his relationship with the church and, and if it, infl- uh, you know, if it um, uh, caused him to be troubled and, and contributed at all to his death or have those, those kinds of questions. So we did some, it's kind of a metro story, but gets at uh, a sort of secretive and interesting cult that's emerged in recent years in a few different ways. So that's, you know, two very different types of stories. I'm sure we'll have some more, some other great holiday features that people will want to read with their eggnog by the fireplace <laughs> if, if, if they're missing, uh, missing the news. Yeah, exactly right. Well, Paul, again, it's been great to have you on the program uh, again. And if you want to read more about any of the stories that we talked about today, you can go to religionunplugged.com. There's also a way for you to contribute to Religion Unplugged's International Reporting Fund uh, link at the top of the page. To find out more about Ministry Watch, you can go, of course, to ministrywatch.com. Likewise, we too, during this year-end season, uh, would appreciate your financial support. We've got a button up at the top of the page that will allow you to contribute to us as well. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. Here at Ministry Watch, we get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. Thanks to Clemente Lisi, Bobby Ross, uh, Micah Danny, uh, Jillian Cheney, and the rest of the Religion Unplugged team for providing content uh, that informed the conversation that Paul and I had today. And of course, I'd like to thank Paul. Are the editor-in-chief, my guest host of Religion Unplugged, Paul Gladder, for joining me on the program. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Warren. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.